And it is a pleasure to be back with you. So excited to be here on the 4th of July. When Pastor John asked me to speak on the 4th of July weekend, <clears throat> I happened to be memorizing from Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 includes a parable about a king who has servants who don't want to be part of his kingdom. They don't want him as king. And I thought, okay, Lord, I get the point. I will make my message about that parable. As I dug in, I discovered that the parable really wasn't so much about freedom or not having a king or something like that, which would have made sense on the 4th of July. It's really about investment. And so if you listen this morning, as we look at this parable, I want to tell you, I don't know a lot about investment. I don't claim to be a great financial investor, but I do know this. I know how to make a small fortune in the stock market. Okay, and I can tell you, it's not that hard to make a small fortune in the stock market. The key to making a small fortune in the stock market is to start with a large fortune. Within a very short time, you'll have a small fortune. It works really well. So you can remember that. Let's look at Luke chapter 19. It's a parable that Jesus tells. And it says this, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. I'm going to pause there, put the verse on pause, and, and, and look back, because when the verse starts out, it says, as they heard these things. I want to know, what are these things? What is he talking about? And so when you look back earlier in the chapter, you find the story of Zacchaeus. We know about Zacchaeus. He's the guy who climbed up in a sycamore tree because he was too small, couldn't see over the crowd, and he wanted to see Jesus. But the point of the story is really not that that Zacchaeus was seeking after Jesus. It's a great story to tell. It's important that that was going on. But when Jesus finishes that story, he finishes with these words. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, the point of the story about Zacchaeus is not that he was seeking Jesus. What we ought to take away from that story is that Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus just as he's seeking each of us. And so when we come into a parable, which turns out to be about investment, we want to understand what he means by investment. And I believe you have to understand that when it was the story of Zacchaeus, it was about the Son of Man seeking and saving the lost. So when Jesus is talking about investment in his kingdom, he wants us to think in terms of seeking and saving the lost, of reaching out and building the kingdom of God. And so I want that thought in your head as we proceed in this parable, okay? Back to the parable. And so <clears throat> um, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. The second came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. 
He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. Then he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the 10 minas. And he said, Lord, he has 10 minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. But as for those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. When I read that parable, when I think about the story there, I ask myself, really? A couple of things I need to know before I understand this story fully. The first is, was it really that bad? Was politics really so terrible that if you oppose the guy, you're going to get killed for it? Well, a little bit of a spoiler alert here. If this were next week and this was a movie, then this would be a movie that we would call based on a true story. So yes, it really was that bad. Second question that comes to my mind, because I want to know, is what's a mina? I know about minas that are birds, but that ends in an H. This doesn't end in an H. And it's not a bird. The king doesn't entrust them with birds. He entrusts them with a unit of currency. So I had to look it up. I had to go find out just what is a mina. And I'm happy to clear it up for you this morning, having studied it out in International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. A mina is exactly 1 60th of a talent. So that should, that should help you understand, not, not so helpful. I won't help if I say it's 100 denarii either. So I did look it up, and I, it turns out a mina was $512 in 1915 dollars, which also wasn't that useful to me. And I thought, really? 2023 online edition of the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, and nobody could update that number in 110 years? So I ran it through a currency calculator to figure it out. Turns out it's about $15,500. That actually does matter. Because you see, we're not talking about pocket change. We're not talking about something trivial. We're also not talking about, well, I just won the lottery. We're not talking about millions being poured into these servants as they go and invest for the kingdom. That's important because the parable, the king represents Jesus and the servants are you and I. And if we think in terms of, well, it only matters if I can do huge things for the kingdom, we'll miss the point of the story, which is even a relatively average person has something that they're supposed to invest for the kingdom. And that, I think, is a critical point to grasp as we move on. So as we look at the story, I want to I grasp out some of the characters. I want to pick out what we're supposed to learn from them. And I look at the king himself. And from the king, I learned this lesson. I put it into the King James Version of the Bible because I like that word better. It's the word occupy, but it still doesn't quite capture the essence. Do you remember when I quoted it, that the king said to his servants, engage in business until I come. My fear is that you will hear that and you will conclude all I have to do is make a living because that's what it means, right? I'm just going to engage in business. I'm just going to go about my life. I'm just going to do stuff. That's not exactly what the phrase means. The thing is, it's a one-time phrase, a hapax legomenai, which is a foreign language for the speaker is really smart, pay attention to him. <laughs> Actually, it's not. It's a, it's a phrase that means it only occurs once in the Bible. And 
in this form, you can't find it anywhere else. So trying to figure out exactly what it means can be a little bit tricky. When you go outside the Bible, though, it becomes obvious from other Greek literature, he's talking about investment. What we would call an investment. Putting in something with the expectation of making it grow and get bigger. And so the king is looking for his servants to expand his kingdom while he's gone. That's a critical understanding. So the first thing that I learned from the king is this, make yourself useful. When Jesus is with us, he said to his disciples in John chapter 14, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Then later on in that chapter, he says this, and you will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Well, just in the gospel of John alone, that phrase just blows my mind. I don't know how to handle it because Jesus looks at us, you're gonna do greater things than I did. Jesus, that's not possible. Jesus, you healed sick people. Jesus, you, you took people who were, who were blind and you spit in the ground and you, you touched it to their eyes and they could see. Jesus, you spoke a word and a guy who was dead for four days came out of the grave alive. There is no way I can even imagine anything greater than that. And then Jesus says, you will do even greater works than these. But you see, there's a principle that Jesus is trying to get across. He, he, he emphasizes it in Luke chapter 7 as well, talking about John the Baptist. He says this about John the Baptist. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus, and Jesus says, among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Wait a second, that includes Abraham, that includes Moses, that includes David, that includes Solomon, that includes all those Old Testament people, and there's none of them greater than John the Baptist? Well, that's crazy enough. But then Jesus says these words, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. How can that be? How is it that we're supposed to be greater than all of those people who did phenomenal things for the kingdom of God? It really boils down to one thing. For you see, there's something that John the Baptist couldn't do. There's something that Abraham couldn't do. There's something that even Jesus himself was not allowed to do. And that is to bring people into the kingdom of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. To build the kingdom by adding. John the Baptist could look forward and say someday that's going to happen. Moses could look way forward and say, in a few thousand years, that's going to happen. Jesus could only look forward and say, after I rise from the dead, this is going to happen. You and I get to be part of it. And they never did. What we get to do is build the kingdom of God. The Hebrews chapter 11, the Faith Hall of Fame, lists these phenomenal people of faith in the Old Testament. And then it ends with these words, God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. You see, when Jesus says, you'll do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father, he's talking to you and he's talking to me. And he's talking about things we might think of as trivial, as, as not important, as, as not really directly related to ministry. For you see, it's not always about doing the work of ministry as we typically think. It's not always about standing on stage and preaching. It's not always about leading worship as these folks have done so fabulously this morning. It is often whatever God has for you to do 
that will bring someone into the kingdom, that will build the kingdom, that will encourage those in the kingdom to do more for the kingdom. It's about what I would call investing. And I want to make a distinction here. You see, there's a difference between investing and spending. Each one of us has a certain amount of stuff. Some of, for, for all of us, there's a certain amount of money that we have available to us. We have a certain amount of time. I've heard people say, well, I don't have time to do the work of the kingdom. And I say, oh, you, you only had 22 hours yesterday? Maybe you only had 20 hours yesterday. I had 24. I'm sorry you don't get 24 in your day. It's not really about how much time. It's not really about how much money. It's not really about how much strength. It's not really about how much reputation or how famous we are or how great we are at a sport or at a talent like leading worship or playing music. It's not about those things. You see, there's a simple principle. I borrowed it from a, a speaker I've never heard before. But I found this quote on the internet and thought, this is exactly what I'm trying to say. It's a motivational speaker by the name of Jim Rohn. And he said this, the rich invest their money and spend what is left. The poor spend their money and invest what is left. I've told you I'm not a, a, a financial wizard. I'm not here to tell you how to invest your money or any of that stuff. But if that's true of finances, it is 10 times more true of the kingdom of God. It's all about what's a priority. If you do invest in the kingdom first, you will lay up for yourself treasures in heaven that will be there when you arrive. If you spend your life, your time, your money, your energy here on earth in the things that benefit you, then it does not matter. Because at the end of the day, you're going to find you don't have any left. There will always be days when you're too tired at the end. There will always be days when there's not enough time left. There will always be situations where there's not enough money left. And if you start by investing in the kingdom, you'll have wealth in heaven. If you start by spending what you have and hope to have a little bit left to invest afterward, you won't. And you'll arrive in that kingdom with nothing and you'll be standing there like the, the, the servant who said, I laid your, your gift away in a handkerchief. I didn't do anything with it. I had other things that were more critical. Investing gets you nothing right now, but it gives you reason to expect something in the future. Spending gives you pleasure right now. Or even just sustains your life right now. But it doesn't do anything to build for eternity or for your future. Now, it might look a thousand different ways. The truth is, I know a, a lot of ways to invest in the kingdom of God. I, I know this, that at Teens for Christ, we just had a group of teenagers who came in. They invested their time serving at various nonprofits in the area, slept on the floor of the building, and then one day they came and they worked at Teens for Christ, and they were pulling weeds and they were moving mulch around and freshening up the mulch and they were painting doors and they were building the kingdom of God. And I guarantee you, God kept track of that. Because what we do to invest in his kingdom, he pays attention. Sometimes, sometimes we think it's all about success. And so I want to take you next to the second group of people in this, king, in this parable. You see, there were a group of servants 
They were given a command, and that command was engage in business or occupy or, or do something useful. And I would argue that the first thing they had to learn is that failure is actually success. Failure is actually success. I, I wish I could figure out how to impress this upon people in our ministry. Sometimes we're so afraid to do something wrong that we have the net effect of doing nothing at all. And we sit back and we're fearful. I, I experienced this in a ministry we call Bible quizzing. It's a competition and teenagers uh, try to score points for their team based on their knowledge of Bible verses. It's a phenomenal thing to watch. But it, some of them have this fear and they won't jump and they won't get one wrong. And they're so afraid of getting an error that they never score any points. And I've actually, as a coach, called times out and, and gone and talked to them and said, look, I want you to get the next one wrong on purpose. You want somebody to look at you like you're out of your mind, that's a great place for it. We're in a competition, you want me to get it wrong on purpose? Yeah, I do. Why? Because you need to know that failure is not a catastrophe. You need to learn that it's more important to do something. Because you see, once you start moving in life, even if you don't get it exactly right the first time, the Holy Spirit can steer us and he can move us. It's like trying to steer something that's not moving. Well, you can't do it. You have to start it moving and then you can direct it where you want it to go. And so I would say this, and I put this on a slide for you because I want you to understand this basic principle. It's not that profound. It's not that super. I probably could have said it better. But here's the point. Something is always better than nothing. Something is always better than nothing when we're investing in the kingdom of God. And so when you're listening to me today, as you're listening here in this, in this auditorium, if it's online or perhaps at one of the other campuses, I want you to understand this. What God asks from us is not necessarily success. What he asks is that we do something. I think about the Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter was a, a perfect example of this. When you look at him throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, Peter was one who didn't do a lot of things that we would say were really successful. Perhaps you remember the time when he tried to walk on water. He got out of the boat and was trying to mimic Jesus. What happened? He almost drowned. He almost drowned. He couldn't do it. You may remember on the night of his persecution, on the night of his crucifixion, excuse me, when Jesus uh, and Peter are in the garden, that Peter's the one who pulls out the sword and begins hacking away at the enemy. And Jesus says, enough of this, stop. And he heals the servant whose ear Peter had cut off. And he says, that wasn't what was supposed to happen tonight. Peter didn't get it that night either. In fact, if you look at the life of Peter, you find one after the other, these things that he didn't do well. When Jesus rose from the dead, John chapter 20, he begins coming to look for someone to lead the church in his absence. He knows he's about to go to heaven. He knows someone has to take over while he's gone. Who does he go to? One of the 10 apostles who were sitting in the boat who didn't drown? One of those who stood by and watched while Jesus was arrested and led away to be persecuted? One of those who didn't stand there on the night of his crucifixion and say, I don't know the man. Three times Peter denied him, but he was there. He was trying to do something, and even though it was the wrong thing, when Jesus goes looking for someone to lead his church, who does he grab hold of? It's the apostle Peter. I want you. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, something 
is always better than nothing. Sometimes we, we lose that thought. Two things you'll never hear when we stand before Jesus on the judgment day. Two things you will not hear from him. Number one, well, you tried really hard, but you weren't very good at it. I'm sorry, no rewards for you, but here, have a lollipop. You won't hear that from the king. Because something is better than nothing. Those who do make the effort will be rewarded. There were seven servants we don't know anything about. It has to be that some of them lost money. And yet we're not told that they were punished. We're not told that their money was taken away from them because those who do, they keep what they have. The one who got punished was the one who tried to protect. The one who tried not to do anything wrong. The one who didn't step out. I look around this church and I see lots of opportunities to serve. I met David who was pushing a, a broom out in the lobby there. I've seen people serving at the cafe and, and as ushers. And, and the people on stage, there, there are many ways that you can serve the Lord building his kingdom in this church. You can also invite someone next week to hear the word of God and perhaps come to faith in Jesus Christ. You can build each other up by encouraging words. I have a friend who is fighting a blood cancer right now and he's receiving chemotherapy. He's a preacher. His life for, for more years than I've been alive has been about preaching the gospel. But he can't do it anymore. But he's not done. He continues to serve. He continues to put out Bible verses on the internet, encouraging words to try to build others up. And I think to myself, we ought to be encouraging him. He's got cancer. But he's doing the work of God. And I know this, that if you have breath, if you have strength, there is something God would desire you to invest in his kingdom. It's about making yourself useful. It's about finding that thing. In, in Teens for Christ, I've learned this lesson. There are three groups of people when there's work to be done. The first have a lot of initiative and a lot of desire, and when you point, the job gets done. There's a second group of people that if you tell them step by step, do this, do this, do this, they will work hard to get the job done. But you know there's a third group too, right? And that third group, as soon as you say there's work to be done, you can't find them. They're in their office. They're in the bathroom. They're in the next county somewhere. They're as far away as they can get. They haven't learned to make themselves useful. And that's something that I think we need to learn when it comes to the kingdom of God. It may not be exactly what you expected to do. God has his way of asking us to do things we didn't expect to do, but he asks us first to make ourselves useful. There's another truth that I learned from those those uh, servants, and that is this. We're playing with house money. I know it's a gambling term. I don't actually gamble, but it's such a beautiful term for what I'm trying to express here. I couldn't resist throwing it out there. When a, when a gambler says they're playing with house money, what they mean is they've already won so much or they've been given so much that every bet they place, they're betting somebody else's money. So they can't lose. Think about how that applies to the kingdom of God. You didn't come into this life with anything. You didn't come into this life knowing how to do anything. And you didn't even have the strength to take care of yourself. As you do those things, God has given something to you. And guess what? When you walk out the door of this life, you won't take any of it with you except what you invested in heaven. We are quite literally playing with house money. Every bit of it was given to us 
to be invested in the kingdom. Whether it's money or time or talent or strength, it's all there to build the kingdom of God. And as we do that, we receive great rewards. God doesn't actually need your money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talents. He could do all of that stuff himself and would do a better job of it, frankly, than any of us could do. But he offers us the opportunity to invest what he has given to us in the kingdom of God. And then he promises phenomenal rewards. We look at the rewards these, these servants got, and we think, oh, the first one got 10 times as much. No, he didn't. You read the story wrong. You remember he had a mina and he made 10 minas more, but he didn't get the 10 minas. They went back to the king. What did he get? 10 cities. 15,500? 155,000? How much is 10 cities worth? Billions? I really have no idea. I don't know how you'd even measure that. It's off the scale, and that is the way that God rewards those who invest in his kingdom. But it's about investing for the long haul. For you see, we invest today in the hope of eternal rewards down the road. If we spend it today, we have no hope of anything in the future. But whatever we can invest today, we have the hope of getting it back, not just with interest, but multiple thousands of times over, as we see in this story. Well, Jesus told this parable because these people supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They thought Jesus is going to just take over and build up a kingdom right here. There won't be any time. There won't be any investment. There won't be any of this stuff. And Jesus tells this parable so that they know, yes, you do have to live. Not standing here trying to tell you that everything you are and everything you have should be invested in the kingdom of God. Yes, you do have to make a living. Yes, you do have to live. I'm asking you, what is it that comes first? Do you invest and then spend what's left? Or do you spend and then invest whatever's left over? And that's going to be the difference between who has and who does not have in the kingdom of God. Because Jesus ends that parable, remember, by saying, the one who has, I'm going to give him even more. The one who does not have, even what he had, I'm going to take away from him. Doesn't mean you're going to lose salvation or something like that. That's not what this parable is about. It's about investment in the kingdom of God. And it's about having treasure when we arrive in heaven, as we invest what God has given us. Well, there's a, there's a third group here, and it's not a huge point, but I do want to make it because I told you at the start that this was based on a true story. The king, which represents Jesus, was actually a man by the name of Archelaus. You may not have heard of him, so I'll tell you a little bit about him, but to know him, you have to know his father, King Herod the Great. We may know King Herod the Great because we all remember that at Christmas time, all the babies in Bethlehem were killed because Herod the Great wanted to make sure that the Messiah wouldn't be born and take the kingdom away from him. Herod the Great was an evil king. He was psychotic. He had a lot of things going on. But he was allowed to rule for 40 years until he died because he was under the Roman Empire but the Romans, you know, aren't really famous for kindness and mercy and gentleness and all of those things. And so a king like Herod was not great, but okay, we'll let him go. Archelaus, when Herod the Great died, had to go to Rome to be confirmed as the king. He said, please give to me my father's kingdom. They didn't give him the whole kingdom. 
6,000 Jews in Jerusalem and the surrounding community sent a delegation of 50 people, followed him all the way to Rome, 2,000 miles, to say to the Roman emperor, please do not make this man a king. They did anyway. About six years later, Archelaus was so evil, even the Roman Empire couldn't stand him anymore. And they removed him from his kingship and banished him to Gaul, Spain, about halfway across the empire, about as far away as you can get from Israel. Even the Romans couldn't stand this guy. Why do I tell you that story? Well, it's, it's interesting, but it's also that you need to know this. If two out of three servants could receive good things from an evil king like Archelaus. How embarrassing, how distressing would it be if you and I stand before the judgment seat of the good king, the king of kings, the king of the universe, Jesus Christ, on that judgment day and receive bad things or have taken away what little we have. If they receive good things from a bad king, how much more should we expect good things from a good king? That's what we have waiting for us if we'll invest. And it might look like something like this. It might look like inviting someone to church. It might look like taking the card that was in the chair when you sat down and putting on there, yes, I'd like to know about volunteering. It might look a thousand different ways that God might have for you. But here's what I want you to take away. Three things as we wrap up this morning. Number one, Make yourself useful. We say it all the time. Parents say it all the time. Just make yourself useful. Just go to work. Do something and God will steer you where he wants you to go. Number two, remember that as you're investing, something is better than nothing. And the rewards are phenomenal. And then last but not least, remember this. The king always wins. Even the evil king won, at least for a while. If he's going to win, if Jesus Christ is going to win at the end of the day, I want to be there and I want him to say to me, well done, good, faithful servant. Not money-making servant, faithful servant. Because you invested what I gave you to build the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious thing that you've, you've built your kingdom on earth, but you've given us the privilege of being part of it. And not just part of it, but being able to invest what you have given to us. Lord, pour out your spirit, strengthen us, give us wisdom to see and desire to do the investments that you have for us so that we also can lay up treasures in heaven. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.